Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message for July 2021. For more information on this podcast and our other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you again from Bixby, Oklahoma. My word, we're halfway through 2021 already. We're in July. And yes, it's been three months since I last put out a seed to seed message. But honestly, I haven't had a word burning in my heart until now. And I don't want to just put out messages for the sake of having a monthly message. I want to share words that I believe are really from the Holy Spirit. And I know that this word is one that the Holy Spirit wants me to share. Uh, Bev and I are doing well. We've enjoyed the season that we're in. God has been so good to us. He's blessed us. And we love the season that we're in. And I just wanted to say a thank you to those of you who have supported us and encouraged us with your love and your your uh, messages of encouragement during the season. We appreciate you so much sowing into the ministry and sowing into us and enabling us to be in the season. So thank you very, very much. Um, we are going up to Nashville again at the end of this month for another Shop Fix Academy Mastermind Conference. And I have had people contacting me and saying, can we come? And the simple answer is, unfortunately not. This is a closed group uh, to which shop owners who own uh, auto repair shops belong. They pay a monthly subscription to belong to the organization. And for they get for that, they get regular training. They have mentorship. And then once every three months, there's a conference. And we have been privileged to be included in speaking there. And I do... Um, devotions every morning and speak at other times and uh, it's been just a wonderful blessing a wonderful outlet we've seen people come to know Jesus get saved and people get set free from um, unforgiveness and all kinds of things people getting healed so it's just been we're surreptitiously doing the work of the kingdom in an organization that is not overtly Christian it's sort of covertly kingdom and uh, Aaron who runs the organization loves Jesus and we've had a relationship now for probably about 17 or 18 years since I met him when he was a youth pastor at Grace Center in Franklin Tennessee and uh, it's a joy to be able to uh, work with him in this organization that has just had phenomenal growth we're going to have about 600 people to the conference this end of this this month and so although uh, Aaron had uh, bought a building for Shop Fix Academy it's just inadequate so we're moving back to the embassy suites in Murfreesboro because it's large enough for the crowd that is coming <clears throat> so it's going to be a great time so some of you might be really surprised by the title of the, this month's message that I've chosen. This is the title, Are Worry and Anxiety Rebellion? And I think as we get into the scripture, you're going to see what uh, I'm thinking in, in this regard and what I feel the Lord is trying to say to us as his children during the season. 
I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And there he's quoting from uh, Proverbs 3.34 and um, also the concept is found in Isaiah 57.15. Therefore, he says, verse 6, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, there are three operative verbs in these verses. Humble yourselves, or in other words, submit yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your care upon him, and then resisting the devil, verse 9. Now, this closely parallel what James says in chapter 4 and verse 7, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, those of you who have been with us for the last few years know that I did a whole series on know who you are. And uh, I want to refer particularly to the messages of March and May of last year. And you can find them on our website. If you go to the front page and you hit click on listen and click on see to seed, it'll take you to the past months. What we discovered in those messages was, I think particularly in May, was this. Where I referred to the centurion and Jesus made the amazing, outrageous statement that he had not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He's talking about a pagan centurion. And what was it that caused Jesus to just exclaim, I've not found so great faith? It was the reality that this centurion understood the issue of authority. And he knew that because he was under Caesar's authority, he said, I also am a man under authority. And I say to this one, go, and he goes to another one, come, and comes, and another one, do this, and he does it. And so he said to Jesus, speak the word, and my servant will be healed. In other words, he could identify that Jesus was under a higher authority, and because he was under that higher authority, he had authority over sickness and disease. And that higher authority is obviously God. Jesus had come to do the Father's will. And as long as he remained under the Father's authority, he had absolute authority over all sickness, all disease, all evil spirits, not over the will of man. He never had authority over that. God will never usurp that place of dominating the will of, of a, a, a man. He has given us that freedom to choose. But other areas where we are oppressed of the devil, as Peter says in Acts 10, 38, verses that we looked at during the study, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. So that verse in James indicates in verse 6, submit to God and resist the devil. I believe that is the 
important thing. You cannot resist the devil. You don't have authority over the devil if you're not submitted to God's authority. The two go together. You have to be under authority in order to walk in authority. Now, going back to Peter, he starts off with submission. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I love that word, the mighty, the kratio hand of God. It's not just the dunamis word, it's kratio, which is the almighty power of God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now, the first thing I want you to, 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 to think of is this. The mighty hand of God is not an oppressive hand. He's not talking about God squashing you down. He's calling you to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God is a hand of protection. It's a hand of, de uh, of defense for you. It's a hand of provision for you, as the verses that go on further will explain to you. The mighty hand of God is a recognition that God is able to take care of the stuff that comes against you because he is the almighty God. And so why? Why wouldn't you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God if you understand that that hand is a hand of goodness, is a hand of provision, is a hand of love? I love Psalm 105 and Psalm 145 where the Bible says that he opens his hand and he satisfies the desire of every living thing. Everything looks to him and he gives them their food in due season. God's mighty hand is a hand that is open with provision, with everything that I need. So the question simply is, why wouldn't I humble myself under that mighty hand of God if I know that God's purpose and will for me is all good? It's all loving. It's all kind, and he wants to meet every need, and he wants to pour out manifold, multiplied blessings upon me. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's bringing yourself into submission under that mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, I've got to dig into the grammar of this word, casting. It is fascinating. You are going to be so blessed and encouraged by the study. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use some big uh, grammatical terms, to, uh, but I hope I'll make it very clear. The word casting is an aorist participle. And the significance of the aorist participle is this, that it often refers to action prior to another verb. In other words, the participle acts as an adverbal, adver adverb. In fact, this is called a temporal adverbial participle. In other words, in time, the action of the participle precedes the action of the main verb. The main verb is humble, and then the participle that modifies that main verb is casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. So the action of casting precedes humbling. I want to submit to you that if you're not casting your care upon the Lord, you're not submitting to him. You're not humbling yourself 
under his care. Let me use a great passage of scripture that illustrates this brilliantly. Uh, if you are following in your Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 19. The same exact word in the same tenses is used in Acts chapter 19 relating to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus sends two of his disciples to find the cult and they bring the cult to Jesus. And then this is what it says in verse 35. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their clothes on the cult and they set Jesus on him. So look at the picture. They bring the cult to Jesus and then the crowd throws their clothes onto the cult and then they set Jesus on the colt, probably helped him up, lifted him up for, for him to be able to mount the colt. But before he could mount the colt, the clothes were cast. Same word, cast, the, they cast their clothes on the colt. And then they helped Jesus to set on top of the clothes, on top of the colt. Now, same verb. And that's the picture here. In other words, the action of casting all your care upon him precedes humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. Can we say, therefore, that if you're not casting your care upon the Lord, you're not humbling yourself under his mighty hand? It's like they couldn't set Jesus on their clothes on the colt until they had first cast their clothes onto the colt. And then Jesus sat on those clothes and the triumphal entry into Jerusalem proceeded from that point on. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. The aorist tense is the tense of completed action. So the action was completed before the humbling. Casting all your care upon him is something that happens before humbling. It's modifying. I, I, I hope you see that. I hope I've made that as simple as possible. I'll state it again. What Peter is implying is this, that you haven't humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God if you're still hanging on to your anxiety. Casting your anxiety upon him is the prelude to humbling yourself, or can we say this? It is the expression of humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, because he links the two together. So casting my care upon him is admitting that God's mighty hand is greater than my hand and is able to take care of the situations that I'm facing in my life. And so I'm humbling myself under his mighty hand by casting all my care upon him. Therefore, can we also deduce from that, that not casting my care upon him is an issue of pride. It's really holding on to my prerogative to worry and be anxious about a situation because I distrust the mighty hand of God to work on my behalf. I'm not sure that God is going to take care of things. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. If I don't trust in the loving care of the mighty hand of my father, then I withhold rolling and casting my anxiety upon him and letting him take the responsibility for the situation. Let me illustrate this from something that happened 
to Bev. The last time we went up to Nashville, three months ago, this series of events happened. There was an issue ongoing in our extended family. And Bev had been really burdened about the situation. And so she kept virtually daily taking it to the Lord, taking it to the Lord and and speaking restoration and asking God to intervene in, in this family situation. And then on the Friday before we traveled up to to Nashville, we got the news that a dear friend, Patty Bradley, had had passed away and we Often when we would go through Memphis and we had planned to do it as we went through Memphis, we were going to pop in and visit with Patty and her husband, Ken. They pastored in um, Red Banks, Mississippi. That's where we uh, we first uh, spent time with them. We had met them at a conference in Arrington, Alabama with T.D. and Dudley Hall and, and Jim Hilton and so on way back in the early 80s. And God had uh, ministered greatly to Ken through what I had shared at that time, and it changed his whole ministry. So we, we have got a, have had a special relationship with Ken and Patty. And uh, when Bev got the news about Patty's death, she grieved. She was really grieving over that. So on Saturday morning, we were sitting in our chairs in our in our den. And Bev is crying, and I'm saying to her, you know, what is it? And she said, I can't talk about it now. She was just in grief over the family situation, over Patty's passing, and she just felt overwhelmed by the grief. So she went through that day very sober, very somber, and then the next morning, as so often happens with us, we wake up with a song. And the song that she woke up with on Sunday morning was an old song that she had sung when she was a teenager in youth choir back in First Baptist Church, East London. And uh, the, the song starts off, Oh, listen to our wondrous story. Counted once amongst the lost, yet God came down from heaven's glory, saving us at awful cost. Who saved us from eternal loss? Who but God's son upon the cross? What? did he do he died for you where is he now and the last line of the chorus is in heaven interceding and Bev woke up with that phrase in heaven interceding and God began to speak to her and we drove up to Nashville that day and that revelation just suddenly grew so big in her because she realized she asked me this question on Sunday morning. She said, uh, you know, I know that Romans 8 talks about him interceding. And what it says there, who is he that condemns? Is it Christ who died? Yea, rather is risen again, who is seated at the right hand of God, who lives to make, ever lives to make intercession for us. So Jesus is not condemning us. He's interceding for us, is what Paul is saying. He's at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. And then she asked me, isn't there another place? And I said, yes, there is. And it's in Hebrews chapter 7. And inasmuch, this is verse 20, as he was made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more has Jesus become a surety or a guarantor, a guarantee of a better covenant. 
also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, just like Melchizedek, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, and here's the verse, he also is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save or deliver or give prosperity or healing. The word sozo includes everything good, healing, salvation, deliverance, provision, uh, well-being is all included in that, uh, that Greek word sozo. He's able to save to the uttermost, to the furthest extent, to the farthest reaches, to the uttermost, all those who come to God through him. He is the high priest through whom we approach God, and he's able to deliver us to the uttermost. Why? Because he ever lives to make intercession for us. And Beverly got such a revelation that morning. She said, if Jesus is interceding for her, why on earth would she be carrying the burden of intercession for the, situation, the family situation? First of all, I want you to understand this. There is no scripture that applies intercession to us as believers. I know Peter Wagner wrote a book many years ago, Your Spiritual Gift Can Help your church grow. And in that, although he said it's not recorded in the scriptures, it's obvious from observation that some people have a ministry or even a gift in quote of intercession. That's not biblical. We're all called upon to pray, but there's only one intercessor between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. And if Jesus is interceding and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and all authority has been given to him in heaven and in earth, why on earth are we burdening ourselves with interceding about stuff that all we have to do is give to him, release to him, because he is the intercessor. And Bev got that revelation, and she has never taken it back. She's never taken the burden back. She got such a release that Sunday, three months ago. Now, she said, have I been tempted to take the burden back? Oh, yes, she said, I have. But I've just reminded myself that I cast it on the Lord and he is the intercessor. He's interceding for me on my behalf. So there is no reason for me to be interceding in the situation. That's casting your care upon the Lord. That is trusting in his ability, his mighty hand. Now, the word care. We need to study that. Merimna is the Greek word, and it really is to be of double mind, a divided mind, uh, to be indecisive, to, is it this, is it that, is it, is, is God able, is God not able, uh, am I, am I, what must I do, what, what shouldn't I do, uh, it's, it's this anxiety of, should we go this way, should we go that way, what am I going to do? Merimna is a divided mind. It's wonderfully illustrated, of course, in the story of Mary and Martha back in Luke chapter 10. You'll remember that Jesus came to Mary and Martha's home with his 12 disciples. So all of a sudden you've got 
13 extra people in the house for a meal. And so Martha does what Martha does best. She heads to the kitchen to prepare the groceries for everybody to be able to have a meal. Well, after a bit, she gets really uptight because Mary is not coming into the kitchen to help her. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his, his words. Luke chapter 10, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted. And the word in the Greek is to be pulled away from, pulled out from the center of. The best illustration of this is centrifugal force. A wheel spinning forces whatever is loosely attached to it to move further and further. You know it from the your days on, uh, we called it the merry-go-round. I don't know what it's called here in America, but we'd get on those uh, merry-go-rounds and start to speed up. And, you know, eventually you're holding on for dear life because the centrifugal force is pulling you away from the center. And so Luke comments that Martha was distracted with much serving. She, she's After all, she's got to get a meal ready for at least 16 people, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and the 13 disciples, and, or 12 disciples and Jesus. So it's a big house full. And so, so she bursts in and she comes, she approaches Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care? And this is the word that is used of he cares for you. Do you not care? And, uh, you know, the disciples, when they woke Jesus up in the midst of the storm in Mark 4 said, do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus, don't you care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. Therefore, tell her to help me. And then Jesus says, answers and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And there's the word anxious. There was this inner thing in going on inside Martha and troubled really illustrates it. It comes from the word, the Greek word tumult. So there's a real turbulent tumult going on inside Martha. She's probably expressing a little bit with making a great noise in the kitchen with clanging the pots and the pans to try and get Mary's attention. I mean, she is uptight. Uh, she's Marimna. She is anxious over the, the situation. She's, he says, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. I've shared the story before, but I, need, I want to share it again. I battled in pastoral ministry for seven years, first in South Africa at Bethany Baptist Church in uh, the old Favutburg, and then for three years in Gweru in Zimbabwe. I was not happy in pastoral ministry. I felt that I was a fish out of water and was trying so hard to do the best that I could. And one day toward the end of 1981, I went out to the farm of one of uh, the de deacons in our church, well, a big ranch, Uncle Benny, Kashula, uh, to spend a day just in fasting and prayer. And this is the passage that God opened up to me. And I saw how it reflected my life. 
I, I was uptight because I felt that I wasn't being helped by others. You know, I was carrying the burden alone. Did Jesus tell others to help me? Get, get, tell them to get off their butts and help me, you know, kind of thing. And uh, as I studied this, I can remember just, I had my Greek books with me. Uh, this, of course, before the internet, so I had no smartphone that I could just quickly pull up references. So I would always, when I knew that I was going to be alone with the Lord, I carried my Greek books because I love to study the original language, do my own translation. And so I translated this passage and God highlighted the words distracted, worried, troubled, distracted, worried, troubled. And I knew that that described where I was in my life and in ministry. And then the verse that follows, Mary has chosen, one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. And as I studied that, I felt the Lord saying to me, I'm giving you a choice today which if you make this choice, I'm giving you the same guarantee that Jesus gave. If you choose to sit at my feet and hear my voice, I'm guaranteeing you that it will not be taken away from you. And I went for a long walk, and I can take you to the place on, on that farm at Somabula, just south of Gweru in Zimbabwe. I can take you to the exact spot. In fact, 10 years later, I went to that spot and picked up uh, five stones from that spot, and I have them on my desk, along with st other stones that I've collected at significant places. But I have five stones from that spot where I stopped on that day, and I said, Lord, I don't know what the implications of this are for my future, but I choose to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his voice. I choose to refuse to be distracted by much activity. Now, have I kept true to that? No, I got, I've got busy at times in ministry and God has gently jerked me back because he said, it'll not be taken away from you. And he's called me back. He's called me back to his feet. He's called me back to a place of rest. He's called me back. Some people don't understand our lives. What, you know, people just put pressure on us because they say, you've got such a gift to teach. You should be out doing meetings everywhere. You should be doing that. I choose to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his voice. I choose not to be distracted. He gave me the guarantee. And every time I get too busy, he calls me back. He calls me back to that place of just being quiet in his presence and just resting in his presence. And I love it. I love what he has, what he has called me to. And I, I, I revel in it. I am so happy in it. But casting all your care, your marimna, Martha held on to her anxiety, her anxious thoughts, and Mary was untroubled. He, she was sitting at Jesus' feet, and Jesus said, only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that better part, or what my translation says, that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. 
casting all your care, your, your anxiety, your worry, your divided mind. Is it this? Is it that? What, what, what do I do here? What do I do? Now, let me say a word about the climate that we're living in. I, I want to encourage you. If you are still listening to the secular news, if you are still filling your mind with the fear-mongering and with the distortion of truth that is going on in the mainstream media, you will not be able to be free of anxiety. It is all designed to make you fearful and anxious. That is the purpose behind it all. I could give you chapter and verse and reference as to where all of this has been mapped out and is being orchestrated by evil people who want to keep you in fear and anxiety. And so if you are listening to their voices, you are going to be in a constant state of anxiety over the situation in the country. I've preached before on Isaiah 6. Isaiah, when he was listening to what was the voices out there, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips, for I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. He was listening to the voices. He was listening to the opinions of the experts. He was listening to the scientific voices that were spouting what was, you know, whatever voices he was listening to. And he was then repeating what he was hearing, and he said, I am a man of unclean lips because I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I've been hearing what they're saying. I'm saying what they're saying. And when he got into the presence of God, he heard what was being said in heaven, and the seraphim were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. But if you read Isaiah chapter 5, all Isaiah can see is the evil around him until he gets into the presence of God and he sees the Lord high and lifted up and he hears what the seraphim was saying, the whole earth is full of his glory. And I want you to know that the whole earth is full of his glory because the mighty hand of God is operating on your behalf. He cares for you. He's watching over you. He's looking after you. He is so solicitous over your well-being, over your wholeness and health, over your prosperity, over everything that that relates to your life, over your relationships, the mighty hand of God. He cares for you. He cares about everything that affects you. And if you doubt it, you can go to Matthew and where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about the lilies. And in fact, Bev came back from her ride this morning through our neighborhood and she had stopped at one of the ponds in a, in a community that, that she rides through uh, that we, well, we ride through, but I didn't ride this morning because I'm wanted to preach this message and she took pictures of the lily pond the lily pads and the lilies that are growing in the pond because Jesus said consider the lilies how they grow they toil not they, they don't spin their clothes but Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of them see Solomon's glory 
was imposed from outside, whereas the lilies have an innate glory that comes from the inside. And he says, are you not of much more value than the lilies? Because we now have the, under the new covenant, we have the life of God. We have the DNA within us. We have the glory of God within us. And that glory is not imposed from the outside in what we wear and, and so on. It comes from the inside of us. And so everything that is provided for us is centered in him indwelling us and him caring about everything. In fact, we have to make the statement that because he cares for us, everything that you will ever need has already been provided in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. There is nothing that will confront you today and tomorrow that God has not made provision for through the finished work of Jesus. When Jesus said it is finished, the work of redemption, the work of grace for the people of God was complete. It's already provided. So you being anxious about what am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Jesus said, that's what the pagans worry about. That's what non-Christians worry about. You're not a non-Christian. You're a believer. You're a child of God. His spirit dwells within you. You're born again of the father's seed. You have his DNA within you. And therefore you have Christ in you, Christ in you, the anointed one with all of his anointing and all of that ability that comes through his anointing. You can just read the gospels and see the, the, the anointing of God that was on Jesus in action. That same anointing is within you. And so it's that the, the lilies have that glory that comes out from within them expressing itself in the beautiful flowers but it's all from within and that's us. We have that glory within us. We have all that provision within us. He cares for us. Isn't that fantastic? So if you are worrying, if you are anxious, number one, it means you haven't cast your care upon him, which means you haven't humbled yourself under his mighty hand, which means you haven't submitted to him, which means, can we dare say it, that you're in rebellion that you are in independence of God because in effect you're saying, I don't trust your care of me. And so I'm going to spend some time worrying about this situation. What do I do in the situation instead of releasing it to him? Do, do you see that that's an issue of pride? It's you not letting go. It's you reserving the right to worry about and to, to, to fret about a situation instead of just releasing it to him. And what is the end result going to be? The end result of that is this. You cannot resist the devil. He goes on to say in First Peter chapter 5, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. The faith in what? The faith in the promises of God, the faith in what Jesus has done, faith in God's faithfulness, faith in the mighty hand of God under which I've humbled myself, I've placed myself in subjection to the mighty hand of God. I've brought myself under the canopy of the mighty hand of God. And so through faith in him, I am able to resist the 
devil when he comes against me with all of these fear-filled thoughts, when he tries to put dread upon me, when he tries to just uh, make me become swallowed up with emotional grief. I can come against him. Why? Because I'm under the mighty hand of God. I can resist him. I believe there is a pattern of scripture here that is so important for us to hear. And especially for the season of time that we're living in, it's imperative that we hear this, that we cast our care upon the Lord, that we throw and roll and one of the translations is it uh, the Amplified Bible says, roll and repose. In other words, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Cast your garment onto the donkey is the picture from uh, Luke uh, 19. They cast their garments on the donkey and then they set Jesus upon it. He was high and lifted up sitting on those garments. <laughs> Dare we take the liberty of seeing that same picture? When you cast your care upon the Lord, he rules and reigns over those cares. He is seated upon them. He is high and lifted up. He is mighty and he's seated upon your cares, which you cast uh, uh, upon him. The word cost is a strong word. It means to throw, sort of has a little bit of a violent action within it. It's not just gently placing it on Jesus. The word is to throw, fling, or cast. It's, it's Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. And many commentators believe that Peter was thinking of that verse in Psalm 55 when he penned these words, casting all your care upon him. It's flinging your cares onto him. It's, it's not a, a gentle action. It's an aggressive action. It's saying, Lord, I'm releasing it to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm not taking this back. It's yours, just like Bev had to give up that that role of trying to intercede on behalf of the situation in in our extended family, and she just cast it onto the Lord. And as she said to me yesterday, she said, "Now have I been tempted to take it back a time or two? Yes, she has. But she said, "I've just reminded myself that He's interceding on my behalf, and so I leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Cast it on Him is a strong action. Now, I come back to this. There's a pattern here. You cast, and in casting, you're submitting, and in submitting." you now have authority over the works of darkness. If you fail to cast your care upon the Lord, you're not in submission to God, and therefore you're not under His authority, and therefore you don't have authority over this ravenous lion. And He is so ready to suggest to you the worst-case scenario of what could happen, and you can be neutralized in a moment. I've referenced this before, but when we were in Zimbabwe during the liberation struggle there, the terrorist war, they would warn us repeatedly about rumors and how rumors could upset the population and so on. And the news is full of rumor mongering to cause fear in people. But this would happen to me. I would spend time with the Lord in my office, in my study at home, 
and just have a wonderful time with the Lord of meditation in the word and prayer. And then I'd go, get up and go to the post office to collect the mail from the church mailbox at the post office. And I'd perhaps bump into somebody who would say to me, have you heard what has happened? And they'd proceed to tell me the, you know, the latest rumor or what was going on. And honestly, I can tell you this. I would lose my peace and my joy in seconds flat, listening to those rumors. See, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to rob you of your peace and of your joy. And when you're in turmoil, you're not much good in resisting the devil because you're not being steadfast in the faith. And the encouragement of this is, listen, there are others going through exactly the same trial. He says in First Peter chapter 5, he says, knowing this, that your brothers are going through the same. The same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Others are going through exactly what you're going through. It's not unique to you. And so he be encouraged by that, that others are experiencing the same thing. And what we don't need to do is share our doubts and share our our anxiety with others and pull others down. It's time for us to share and encourage brothers and sisters in the Lord. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, I want to tell you where this word became so strong and so powerful to me. In 1979, just before Bev and I moved to Zimbabwe to start the, our pastoral ministry, and at Guero Guelo, it was then Guelo Baptist Church. The Southern Baptist Mission in South Africa invited a man from the United States, from uh, Tampa, Florida, Dr. Waylon Moore, to come to South Africa. They gathered the Southern Baptist missionaries from Zimbabwe and from South Africa, and and they invited all the pastors from the Baptist Union of South Africa, of which I was a part, to attend that conference as well. And Waylon Moore had written a book called New Testament Follow-Up, but really his whole ministry was about discipling. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, that which you have received from me, Paul writes to Timothy, before many witnesses, entrust thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And Waylon Moore's whole thesis was this, your most effective ministry is not going to be your pulpit ministry, but it is going to be one-on-one -on -one entrusting what you have received to faithful men who will be faithful then to take what you have received and share with others as well. And it, it made such a profound impact upon me that when I went to Zimbabwe a couple of months later to start my ministry there, the first thing that I did was I looked for people to mentor. And Marcus Prume and Pete Swanepoel were the, the first two guys that I mentored. And we met together every Saturday morning and Bev cooked us breakfast and we sat at our dining room table and I imparted to Marcus and to Pete. And Peter's now in heaven with Jesus, but Marcus still from time to time will contact me th uh, through F Bev's Facebook page and say, I still pray for you every day. Because one of the things that we committed to do was to pray for each other daily. 
here in the States, God got so a hold of me when Paul Cain prophesied apostolic anointing upon me. And he said you'd see breakthroughs in Africa and India and third world countries. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, do you want me to fulfill that word through you and Bev, or do you want to see a generation raised up? And I said, Lord, I want to see a generation raised up. And so I don't want to go into names because of, you know, the danger, but I have spiritual sons who are ministering in India as Paul Cain prophesied and in Africa as he prophesied and in third world countries as he prophesied. I'm not going to name names for the sake of the safety of of people, but men and and women who I have had the privilege of pouring into both one on one and through the Internet who have imbibed the message of grace through our ministry and are themselves making disciples. And so I I've received emails from men in in Africa and saying, I am your spiritual grandchild that became the pattern for me. And this is what I spend my time doing now is mentoring, is pouring into others. I spend a lot of time on the telephone and I love it. I I enjoy it so much. Just passing on and mentoring others in different parts of the world. So that's sort of an aside. But in the course of it, Waylon Moore was talking about the importance of scripture memorization, which was also an important part of my life. That's why, as you know, I can quote passages of scripture and it just flows out of me because I have read the scripture through so many times, so many times I've memorized passages of scripture. And so it's just a wonderful thing to have the word of God hidden in my heart in that way. So he was encouraging us with that. And then he told this story and this is where this message comes out of. Waylon Moore said that when he was in seminary, he would go out on weekends to minister in little country churches. And one week he went out on a Sunday to minister in this particular country church. After he had preached, they said to him, there's a woman in this church who is in a catatonic state. Would you be willing to go to her home and pray with her? And they said she lost her daughter in tragic circumstances. And ever since that time, she has just been in this catatonic state. She just sits in her chair, staring into space. She just can't function. And and so Waylon Moore said, I went to that home and I saw the woman and he said, I prayed a religious prayer. It wasn't, I didn't have much faith at all because I looked at that woman and saw the state she was in. And so I just prayed this little religious prayer, not expecting much to happen. And that was that. I went back to seminary and he said, at seminary, he said every morning or whenever it was, he would go walking and he would revise his memory verses. He'd have them on cards. And one particular morning in that week following the visit to that church and praying for that lady, he was revising these verses that I've read 
to you in 1 Peter chapter 5. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. And he was revising those verses and speaking them over, and suddenly what truth I've just shared with you dawned on him. That if you aren't casting your care upon the Lord, you're not humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God and you have no resistance to that, your enemy. You have no resistance because you have not humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God by casting your care upon him. And he went back to that church the next Sunday to preach and couldn't wait to go to that woman's house with armed with this truth. And when he got to the house, he got in front of her and he started speaking into her spirit. She was catatonic. I mean, she was just staring off into space, but he knew that he could connect with her spirit. And he began to share these truths that I've shared with you, that you have not submitted to God. You're in an act of rebellion. If you're holding on to your anxiety and your care and your grief and your worry and the stress of life and so on. And he spoke into that woman's spirit and said, now it's time for you to let go of your care, of your anxiety over the, the loss of your daughter, to forgive God because you blame God for taking your daughter from you. It's time for you to let go of that and cast it on the Lord, cast it on the Lord. And in that way, you're humbling yourself under his mighty hand of God, bringing yourself under his authority and then you have authority to resist the devil. And he just spoke to her and she started to weep and he led her through just casting her care and her accusation against God for the death of her daughter and all the grief that she had been carrying because grief is a, is a tangible oppression of the enemy. There is a human grief that is natural, but there is a spirit of grief that wants to attach itself to you because you haven't cast your care upon the Lord because you haven't released the death of a loved one to the Lord because you haven't released the trauma of some tragic situation in your past. You've not cast it on the Lord and you're holding on to it. You're rehearsing it continually. You're rehearsing it. You're nursing the, the wound inside. You're rehearsing it and you're, you're, you're just steeped in self-righteousness and, and blaming the, the other person for what they did to you. And in doing that, you're not casting it on the Lord. Some of you have been through awful situations, traumatic situations of betrayal, of abuse, of rape and incest and of abortion, of the betrayal of by a parent, by a loved one, by a spouse, by children, and you carry that within you, it's time to cast it on the Lord, to fling it onto the Lord, to just throw it onto him. See yourself like with the, the people throwing their garments onto the donkey. 
so that Jesus could ride on the donkey, discarding the garment. Isaiah 61 says he's given us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You've got to cast off the spirit of heaviness in order to put on the garment of praise. You can't put the garment of praise over the spirit of heaviness because that spirit of heaviness is going to rob you of joy on the inside. You've got to cast off the spirit of heaviness. You've got to rebuke the spirit of heaviness. You've got to cast it onto the Lord and then you can take the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness and you can begin to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in His mighty hand upon you. So the question is, How do we cast our care upon the Lord? And for that, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 4 because Paul gives us the answer in Philippians chapter 4. And many of you know exactly where I'm going to. Paul says this, Be anxious for nothing. Same word, marimna. Be anxious for nothing. Understand this, that obviously you can hear things. Things will come against you. Events will happen and you're going to process them. But anxiety is when you hold on to that process and you're trying to solve it. You're trying to resolve it, the confusion within you by answering, what do I do? Where do I go from here? What's going to happen? How do I deal with this situation? He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How do you cast it on Him? (laughs) Tell Him. Tell Him with prayer and supplication. Supplication is a request. It's asking God to take care of the situation. Prayer is is kissed toward. It's worshiping Him. It's acknowledging His greatness. It's acknowledging His ability and then supplicating Him. It's giving it to Him, saying, Lord, here, I'm, I'm giving it to you. Thank you that you're taking care of it. Thank you that you've already provided in the cross for this. Thank you that this situation didn't take you by surprise. Thank you from before the foundation of the world. You knew that this situation would arise and you've already made the provision in Christ. And so thank you. I'm giving this over to you and I'm asking you to be in charge and he says with thanksgiving thank you God that you're big enough for my situation thank you that you've already made the provision for this do you you see how it works let your request be made known to God and then what happens and the peace of God which passes surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. (laughs) Well, when you have rolled, when you've cast the anxiety on the Lord, you receive His peace in that place. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, will stand guard. It's the word of a soldier, of a watchman. It will guard your heart's and minds through Christ Jesus. Hearts implies your emotions. Minds implies your thoughts. He'll protect, he'll guard your emotions. He'll guard your mind. 
as you roll and repose the cares onto him, as you cast your anxieties onto him in prayer and supplication. Listen, this is so simple. I don't spend hours in prayer because I've learned when something comes upon me, I quickly release it to the Lord. I quickly release it to the Lord. Yes, it's yes. Why would I hold on to this for a moment? I give it to the Lord because he is able to care for me. And then I have authority to resist the devil. And as James says, when you've submitted to God and you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Now, if you are resisting the devil and he isn't fleeing from you, you have to question, have I submitted to God? And in the light of this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, have I not submitted to God because I have held on to anxiety? I've held on the right. I've held on to prideful right to be anxious over this and to try and bring resolution in my thoughts over this situation. It's time to cast it on the Lord. I cast my care upon the Lord because he cares for me. No need to fear. No need to worry. My father's riches meet all my need. I cast my care upon the Lord for he cares for me. It's time for you to cast your anxiety upon the Lord, to let it go, let it go. I couldn't do any better than that picture of the people casting their garments onto the donkey and then setting Jesus upon them. And then they proceeded to also cast their garments upon the road, allowed the donkey to walk over their, the garments that were on the road. Listen, it's just, throwing it on Jesus and leaving it with Jesus and letting him ride and rule and reign over your situation. And then you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you that it is a word of correction, but it is a word of great encouragement because you we're called to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, the kratio hand of God, that rulership hand of God. He is in charge. He is king. He is Lord of lords, and he is king of kings. And we're submitting to the mighty hand of God. So thank you for the comfort of knowing that when we cast our cares Upon you, we are submitting under the mighty hand of God. And in due season, he will exalt us. He will lift us up. In due season, he will exalt us. Lord, sometimes we, we, we need to keep on casting our care upon the Lord because it sneaks back up on us and the enemy just bombards us, our hearts and our minds with thoughts. And we've got to reestablish the reigning, ruling peace of God in that situation. So, Lord, I'm asking right now for an anointing on this word, for a spirit of alacrity, a spirit of haste to come on God's people, that we won't hold on to anxiety for another minute, that we won't 
reserve our right to be anxious and worried and troubled. But right now, right now, we will cast our care upon the Lord. Transfer it, folks. See the picture of you transferring that garment of worry. And you're putting it on the donkey. You're putting it onto Jesus. You're putting it onto him and saying, off you go. Carry it away with Jesus riding on top of it. What a majestic picture of Jesus in majesty riding on it. But you have to put the, the clothes on the donkey before you can lift Jesus up onto the donkey. Casting your care on him grammatically precedes humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. It modifies that verb. Casting, humble, resist. Casting all your care on him. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil. Steadfast in the faith. Lord, let this word become life and health, salvation and deliverance to your people. Thank you that we have a high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. And he is able to deliver to the uttermost, to the uttermost. And as someone said, from the uttermost to the guttermost, <laughs> whether it's up or down, whatever reaches, he's able to save to the uttermost all who come unto God through him. When we approach you, God, through Jesus our high priest, he is able to deliver to the uttermost because he ever lives to make intercession for us. Thank you, high priest, for your ministry on our behalf. We worship you. We bless you. We love you. We bring ourselves under your mighty hand. Thank you. You care for us. You care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this and other available teachings, please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you and thank you for listening.